Okay, we're very fortunate today to have as our speaker, Richard Hartnett. Richard is someone I have known for a long time. I first met him in 1965 when we attended a very small high school together. Oh, it was a, it was a, a uh, it was, they were Christian brothers, you know, it was Catholic. Later, we discovered that we had both moved to California and we, we renewed our friendship. Richard has been a member of the High Watch since 1975 and a mentor since 1983. He teaches for the Prosperos as often as he can. And he, has, he, he is the published author of four books, four, count them, The Call of the Soul, The New Old Gods, The Evolutionary Tarot, and The Not-So-Secret Minor, wait a minute, and The Not-So-Minor Arcana, which is sort of arcane, <laughs> no. His talk today is Purpose and Meaning. So let's welcome Richard. Thank you, Ben. Uh, I just wanted to share with you something that just happened very recently. Um, I gave a copy of um, Call of the Soul to uh, Brother Adrian, who's now Denny Sullivan. And wow. uh, Denny actually gave me high praise uh, in response to uh, that book and actually bought a copy for his, his sister. I, I totally was blown away by that because I never thought I had his respect. So it was really nice to uh, get a little accolade on that. That's so uh, thank you. Um, so my talk today is uh, purpose and meaning and I've got a little PowerPoint presentation. So, so what got me started on this particular topic? Well, this is kind of interesting for a number of reasons. Um, I actually, the very first talk I ever did for the Prosperos, I did at a Thursday night open meeting. And the title of that talk was Purpose and Meaning. And uh, it was a disastrous talk <laughs> in terms of my presentation. It, you know, of course, that's how you learn. You, you stand up, you take a chance, you do something and you hope for the best. And I had a wonderful mentor at that time, Elizabeth Parker or Betty Cuff. And uh, she said to me, well, I think you have some really interesting ideas, um, but um, be better if you could not read the talk. So uh -huh. even today I, I'm working between, I got my notes, I got my ideas, I got things that I think I wanna share in this talk today, but I'm also trying to leave some room for the spirit you know, for the spirit of the talk to just sort of come through me. So, um, you know, does that guy look familiar? <laughs> this is something I do every year uh, in December as I play Santa Claus. And uh, it's really a lot of fun. I grow my beard out and uh, I get to spend a lot of time with kids and, uh, you know, pass out uh, gifts. I started doing this initially um, for underprivileged children to help out Adams County Social Services. Um, and it just really was a wonderful experience. And I still do it. Um, sometimes I get paid to do it. Like uh, I did it for a couple of um, 
businesses this year. And it's kind of fun to stand out on the corner in my Santa Claus outfit and wave at people and watch them. They're, they're just always excited. Um, and it's, it's really, really fun to do it. So um, I always like December. I always like Christmas. I always like the holiday season. Um, and I think it's important for us to remember that that holiday season is a conglomerate of many different uh, traditions, not just Christ, the Christian tradition of Jesus and the birth of Jesus, but also uh, pagan traditions. Uh, some of you may know this, um, the Christmas tree actually is a pagan thing, not a, um, not a Christian thing. But if you look at the core of the holiday, the real core meaning of the holiday, it's about in the darkness of winter, at the coldest time of year, the holiday reminds us that spirit is always there. Uh, even if, if we can't sense it directly, it, the holiday reminds us that spirit is going to, uh, or is in the process of introducing itself into our lives. Um, and that we just, it gives us hope even in the darkest of times. So, um, you know, it reminded me of a time, you know, when I was very uh, young and how much Christmas meant to me and how much I enjoyed it with my family. And this is a tradition that we kept, we kept going uh, for many, many years and still to some extent try to celebrate together. Uh, there I am with my brothers and sisters and my nieces and nephews and my mom and everybody. And it reminded me um, about a time, this is, um, this is an A-frame, uh, what we used to call camps. Um, even though it was a year-round building, um, I come from the Adirondacks and camps are a place where people go to get away from the cities, you know, to get up in the mountains. And this A-frame is actually uh, built on this place called Twin Ponds. And right directly in front of it, there are a couple of um, round, small ponds. And in the winter, of course, they freeze. So when I went, I went back there for this one Christmas, uh, this was around 78, 79. And uh, we actually, I got you can see I got a shovel there. Uh, we actually cleared the snow off the pond so that we could all ice skate and um, enjoy Christmas together. Now, what was actually kind of really special about this particular time was that my mother had asked me to come home for Christmas. I was living in California at the time. And I said, well, I don't know, I'm, you know, it's kind of expensive. Well, my sister and I, and my, I think my brother too, we all got together and got me an airline ticket so that I could actually come out. But we didn't tell my mom that I was coming out to New York. And uh, literally I got, I got off the plane and I sort of went over to my brother's. And then on Christmas Eve, I, I borrowed his car and I drove up to this camp and I walked around and walked up those stairs with two great big bags of uh, gifts, co basically covering my face and walked in the front door and said, well, Merry Christmas, everybody, Merry Christmas. And she didn't know who it was. She said, who the heck is this? And I dropped the presents down a little bit and she looked at me and she literally shot up out of her chair about three feet. It was the most amazing Christmas because she was really, really touched by the fact that, you know, my brothers and sisters and I all got together so that we could all be together and celebrate Christmas. 
And I was there for about a week. Now, this was during a time in which my family was really sort of struggling a little bit with my involvement in the Prosperos. You know, it was back in the day when people talked a lot about cults. And my family was very concerned about what my involvement was with the Prosperos and whether the Prosperos was a cult or not. And, you know, of course, I tried to explain that it wasn't. But one of the things that happened on this particular Christmas, because uh, we were out in the country and we didn't have television, we didn't have anything other than, you know, heat and water and all that kind of stuff. We were basically, you know, on a, on a, like a little spiritual retreat. And my sister, uh, I'll just show you a couple other pictures of us. You know, my, that's my mom and that, she, that's, uh, was a great time with us because we actually get out and did the ice skating. The little one with the white um, uh, coat there, uh, that was actually her first time on ice skates. Her name is Kathleen, it's my niece. And she went on to compete um, in uh, New York State uh, ice figure skating championships. And she did very well. She won several trophies when she was um, uh, doing that. So it was a real, it was a really amazing holiday event. Uh, and, uh, you know, we all had a really good time. We even got my mother out there on skates. Any rate, it was a meaningful experience. But, you know, one question that you could say is, well, but it had, did it have a purpose? And you can say, well, you know, maybe it had the purpose of family getting together. But purpose implies something a little bit more. Purpose implies that you're doing something uh, to contribute to something greater. You know, there's a purpose to it. There's a, you're, you're, you have a goal that you're trying to realize. And so we was really, uh, you know, I was thinking about at that time, what was, what was my purpose? You know, what was the purpose of my life? What was the purpose of the Prosperos? And was there a purpose even in that uh, family event? And anyway, so I was there for a week and my sister uh, who was very concerned about, you know, my involvement, whether it was a cult or not, actually gave, had this book with her. It's called Earth's Answer. And as you can see, it, there, it was a compilation of many different lectures by some really interesting uh, and powerful thinkers of that time. And uh, because I was there for a week, I had a lot of time on my hand. So I actually read this book. And uh, one of the talks uh, that I read that really impressed me was this one here by this guy named Brother David Steindl Rost. And it's, the title of his talk is The Monk in Us. But the thing, key thing that he talked about in this book was purpose and meaning and understanding the difference between purpose and meaning. When we have a meaningful experience, it's something that happens on an emotional level. Uh, we feel something, uh, we, we feel a sense of uh, discovery or a sense of joy about what's going on. And um, a meaningful experience sometimes, uh, very often we don't think of that there's any purpose to it. Like Heather was talking about going to San Francisco and having her minds opened up and having many meaningful experiences. Well, I went through a similar kind of thing. Uh, you know, I, I was, uh, long-haired hippie freak back in those days and uh you did my fair share of psychedelics and smoked a fair amount of pot uh, and uh 
had some meaningful experiences in the sense that it sort of opened my eyes to the world was not as fixed or finite as I was thinking it was. It really opened my ideas to how much consciousness affects reality, how much what our thinking, how our thinking is and how our thinking uh, determines what our experience is. So uh, back to purpose. You know, what was the purpose of, of that holiday, how, that holiday event? Well, it gave me a real sense of that family was important to me. It gave me a real sense of, you know, that I love my family and they would always be my family in spite of our ups and downs and our ins and outs and our difficulties and all that sort of thing that goes on in any family. But I also recognized that I had another family and that other family uh, is the Prosperos. And uh, one of the key things that I learned in the Prosperos was to think more in, in inclusively. As, you, as, I, as I wrote here, meaning or purpose. I think sometimes we look at things in life and we, we sort of look at it in that sense of, well, is this a meaningful experience or is this a purposeful experience? But the truth of the matter is that, that meaning and purpose is sort of on the same continuum that they are part of the same kind of energy, the same way that male and female uh, is similar, or emotion, emotionality and intellectuality are uh, part of a continuum of our human experience. Or we talk about this a lot in this Prosperous, the, the idea of masculine and feminine. When you are a translator, as I believe all of you are, um, one of the key things that you start to do when you work with translation is you work with this idea that truth is all there is. And all, in other words, for all is one. So all of these different things that we um, look at, all of these different dynamics we look at life, such as meaning and purpose or emotionality or intellectuality or even masculine and feminine, all of these things that we've traditionally thought of as being separate are intrinsically connected. And it was very interesting to, uh, to see that that's what David Steindl Ross was saying in his talk. In fact, was, you know, it's funny, you know, I was, I've been working on my next book, which I'm uh, going to call Return to Paradise. And I have struggled and struggled and struggled with this, uh, the introduction of this book, because um, I don't know, it just, it just seemed to me like I couldn't get it in the shape that I wanted it to be. And I couldn't actually get it to say what I needed to say. And I kept going back and forth and writing and rewriting. And I've been working on this for almost two years now uh, on the introduction, but I'm still not satisfied. Somewhere within me, there is this voice that says, it's not there yet. It's not there yet. Keep working on it. And when I was the last time I was struggling, I went back to that David Steindl Ross talk. In fact, I went back to the book. I didn't even remember specifically that talk. I just remembered that that book would always been inspirational for me and that, that it was helpful. In fact, the guy who sort of organized the whole uh, conference was the name, uh, his name is William Irwin Thompson, and he's a cultural mythologist, uh, like, uh, like Mary Ridley, cultural historian. And I've read five or six books by him, and I, he's very good at breaking down myths. And I suppose that I learned from him as well as learning from Mary um, how to work with mythology, and which, of course, as you know, 
uh, if you're familiar with my books, mythology is a, is a key thing, theme in my life. Um, so when I was stuck in this talk, it was very interesting that my voice or my guidance somewhere remembered that, this, that, that this, there was something valuable for me if I could go back and find that, um, that book again. So I went back and I found the book and I read the book and, and, he, and I, he reminded me, or as, or as reading it reminded me, that meaning and purpose are on the same continuum. Meaning is more of an uh, emotional experience. Purpose is more intellectual experience. So sometimes we have, you know, meaningful experiences and that's the beginning of a paradigm shift for us. First, we have something happen that's very emotional and, and it's meaningful for us. It's substantial for us because it has feeling attached. And that's what tells us that this is important. I, I remember uh, when I first came to the Prosperos, uh, I had a meaningful experience. I had an emotional experience, but I didn't quite get what, um, what it was about. But I was intrigued by the fact that there was all these different people, and somehow or another, all of these people were, con you know, conglomerating or coming together, sharing time, sharing space. And as what is this common element in all of these people? And I think what the common element is is we were all committed to um, a change in human thinking, a change in humanity, and that change in humanity that's needed more than anything is for us to make the paradigm shift away from dualistic thinking where it's either or into holistic thinking where it's both and. We wanna move from choosing between emotion or intellect, masculine or feminine, meaning or purpose. We wanna work on finding the way to balance these by recognizing that these are intrinsically linked. That when you have a meaningful experience, um, it's no good if you can't take that and find some way to direct it forward, find some way to let that influence your life. It's also no good to have something that you do that's all uh, purposeful, if you will, that's all focused on purpose, if it doesn't have the emotional content of meaning. I remember being a young student and going to Sunday school and one of the things that we did in Sunday school is we would, we would recite uh, this thing called the Baltimore Catechism. I know some of you are probably familiar with that. And basically we would memorize all of these different st statements about God. And we, the, 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 the nun would say to us, all right, who is God? And we'd have to say, God is the creator of heaven and earth and blah, blah, blah. And what, what, what is our relationship to God? We are supposed to know, love, and serve God. And we could all say those words. We knew all those words, and we sat there bored out of our minds because there wasn't any meaning to those words for us. It wasn't a dynamic relationship between us and the material that's talked about. And I think that's the problem that often happens with religion is they, they get too far away from creating meaningful experiences and focus strictly on their purpose and lose the vitality. And when you lose the vitality, I think that's when people walk away. And, you know, that's kind of scary in a way because one of the things that I see is there's a lot of people that have walked away from um, 
their traditional upbringing and haven't replaced it with anything else. So that when they get into a crisis, when they get into difficulty, they don't have any sense of any way to access anything beyond the ego. And I think that that's really one of the key powers of translation is it helps us to move from that either or to that both and kind of consciousness. You know, if you look at it as, you know, it's like meaning and purpose or male and female or uh, even heaven and earth, if you will, are, are parts, uh, are all of these different things are intrinsically connected. And when you look, when you work with translation, what you're working with is you're working with seeing the connection rather than seeing opposition. Now, coming back to Christmas and Christianity for a minute, I didn't know how much I was going to talk about this, but I think I've, I've got a little bit of time here, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. And that is looking at the major symbology in Christianity, which is the cross. Now, if you think of the cross as two lines, uh, one horizontal and one vertical, and then recognize that what the horizontal line is, is the energy between the masculine and feminine energies of the earth the male and female polarities, the male and female energies of creativity. And if you think of the, the vertical line as being the line connecting the earth to the heavens, then this cross is a symbol of the male-female creativity energy being at cross purposes with the ascent of consciousness, the vertical line of moving from earthly consciousness to divine consciousness. And that is the essence of the cross is the conflict between those two dynamics. Well, so if you recognize that, um, in fact, I'll just point this out, which I think those of you who are astrologers recognize this, that what this is is also what they call a, a grand square, which means there are four squares uh, happening when you have these two lines crossed. And what a square is, is when the energies of two planets are cross purposes to each other. Um, and, so that's what the cross really symbolizes, is the conflict in our consciousness, not anywhere else, but in our consciousness between our male-female creativity and our desire to connect our earthly self with our divine self. That's what the cross is. As long as we feel like we have to choose between these different dynamics, we're always going to be stuck in that old paradigm of conflict. And the real message uh, of the Christ, you know, they say, well, he, you know, he dies on the cross. Well, the real message of the Christ is not the dying on the cross. It's that they threw the worst they could at him. And he was able to transcend that because it, the Christ consciousness is that perfect awareness of the blending of male and female and heaven and earth the recognition of everything being included within the one, which of course is what part of the discipline of translation is when you say truth is all there is, that means you have to reconcile everything within the one. You have to reconcile the emotionality of stuff that's meaningful with the intellectual process of directing our things, directing our lives forward with an intention or with a purpose. So if you look at that, this symbol, which is the yin-yang symbol, which actually sort of represents the same kind of dynamic, but from a totally different perspective. Here, what we see 
is the, the male and the female energy being soft and yielding to each other, that there's a blending, there's sort of a dynamic interaction between the masculine and feminine. And this is, this is where we want to get to, is we want to get to the place where within the circle of wholeness, we recognize that the polarities, not the dualities, but the polarities of male and female. And what do we mean when we say polarity? Well, if you think about the concept of masculine or feminine, try to imagine either one of those without the other. It's impossible. The only way that we can have some sense of masculine or feminine is by having both. And the same can be said of intellectuality and emotionality, also meaning and purpose. And with the yin-yang symbol, what we see is this idea of the dynamic interplay, the, the, um, the blending, the um, back and forth of those two energies. And they are always together. And there's always sort of a, a dynamic ebb and flow. Um, you know, one of the things that um, we know the Prosperous was very much noted for back in the in the day when Thane was with us was that he was very much a pioneer, uh, very focused on getting people to accept sexual diversity. And one of the ways that, of course, he did this is by introducing people to translation, in which when you say truth is all there is, then you have to recognize within the all is the one of the and the polarity of the male and the female regardless of the particular way you choose to express it every one of us is both masculine assertive and feminine receptive or every one of us is emotional every one of us is intellectual in fact you know like a little aside here um, people often ask me well have you always been psychic I mean, you know, I read tarot cards professionally, and they say, well, have you always had that sense of connecting with source or connecting with spirit? And I said, absolutely not. When I first joined the Prosperos, one of the things people used to say is, oh, you're so intellectual. Well, underneath that intellectuality, there was a very emotional purpose, uh, person. And, uh, you know, some of my early experiences in the Prosperos was having experiences in which I just was sobbing uh, with emotionality because I finally found a place where it was acceptable for me to feel uh, as well as to think. And then as I started to work with my feeling nature, I started to open up to my intuitive nature. And that's how I, I got into the psychic thing. In translation, the discipline of translation, you know, you come back to this and it just blows my mind again and again when you actually sit and think these words through, the truth is all there is. And if it's all, that has to include everything. All is one. So everything that exists in the universe, everything that we interact with the universe, somehow or another fits together within the whole. The, the emotionality, the intellectuality, the meaning and purpose of, of everything. Meaning and purpose are not two separate things. They're actually on the same continuum, the same way that maleness and femaleness are on a continuum. And we, we practice translation and we think holistically. So no matter what it is that we're dealing with, 
as we like to say in translation, you translate the smallest blade of grass to the, far, to the furthest star, meaning you take anything and everything and start to figure out, well, how, how does this fit within the whole? Um, one of the key ideas I, I, I think about a lot is if you think holistically, then you think that the spirit, the creative force of the universe, the cosmic intention, the energy of creation, God, if you want to call it that, or Allah or Buddha or um, Atman, it doesn't really matter what the label is. There's some energy there. That energy is the only energy. It, there is no opposing force that's trying to trip us up. The difficulties that we get into all have to do with our misperceiving the truth. And that's why translation is so damn powerful. If you have something going on in your life that's not working, what do you do? You go, all right, it's time for me to look at this from the perspective of translation, to look at it holistically. What am I leaving out? What do I need to invite back into my consciousness? How do I balance or integrate? How do I think holistically as opposed to dualistically? And, you know, here's the thing. I think sometimes we talk a lot about our teachings. We talk about our school, you know, very much from a purpose point of view. Uh, we, we could say to people that we, if you translate, you know, it, it will change your worldview. The world that you view will change if you change your worldview. And we can say that all day long, and it could sound like there's a great purpose to translation, but until somebody actually applies themselves to the tool, until they actually use the tool, they're not going to really get that sense of what it's about. Because when you really translate, it is a meaningful experience. And when, so the great thing for me, uh, when I learned translation and I got involved in the process, not just with translation, but also with releasing the hidden splendor, uh, that when I got involved, I started having these, these experiences that both were meaningful for me, but also had some purpose, some purpose of transformation. So when I look back at that, that young man, you know, that uh, was struggling with my family, um, I realized that the translation more than anything liberated me from limited thinking. And I was able to actually work with it in such a way that I could remain um, with my family to this day, remain close and connected with them. Um, I've shared a little bit about what I do. I've shared a little bit about my ministry and, and I, some of them have, you know, a little flame go off in their mind or their heart and have ex ex expressed some interest and have looked at it. And some of them have chosen not to. Um, and that's okay. The, the key thing was that in the Prosperos, we're not a cult, even though you could say in some ways we are, because a cult is centers around a single personality, but we're not a cult in the sense that most people use that word which is a cult is a group of people that sort of set themselves against the world. When you think dualistically and you find something like an organization, uh, uh, spiritual practice, and it becomes very, very powerful and very, very meaningful for you, 
if you're not able to get past dualistic thinking, then it's very easy for that organization to slip into us against them. And we've seen a lot of evidence with that, you know, the Jim Jones crisis uh, and tragedy uh, in, um, or the, um, you know, the, the, uh, the Rajneesh groups, the sannyasins up in Oregon, you know, where they started to arm themselves or the David Koresh thing, that, that is a problem. Uh, if you're thinking dualistically and you find some liberated practice, you, you can't exclude the rest of the world. You can't think of yourself as being apart or separate or the chosen people apart from the rest of the world, because that's ultimately going to lead to conflict. And that's what happens over and over again. Well, you don't, we don't have that experience here because we tolerate, more than tolerate, we embrace all the different ways that spirit uh, wisdom comes to us. So it wasn't that hard for me to read that book. Even though I thought my, I think my sister thought it was, I was going to be resistant to it. I was very open to it, and there's many, many things that I got out of the book that I still think about and work with today. So that's the great thing about translation is it really does teach us to think holistically, and to get away from dualistic thinking. So we start to have experiences that are both meaningful and purposeful. So to do that. I think one of the things that concept that I'm working a lot with in my book is this idea of our purpose. The purpose of our existence is to be translators is one way to say it for those of us who are in the prosperous, but it's, but it's larger than that. It's for us to be conscious participants in the evolutionary process. And how do we do that? By being conscious. By being, by being mindful, by, being pay, by paying attention. And being conscious and being mindful is not just an intellectual practice. Being mindful, being conscious is being aware of both our intellect and our emotions and recognizing that somehow or another, these two dynamics work within our lives both to show us what is really going on to help us to reveal more and more of the truth. So every single one of us who is a translator is doing the great work. We are being conscious participants in the evolutionary process. And whether there's one of us or a hundred of us, we are doing something that has purpose. And we are doing something that brings meaning into our life. And I know that as long as I'm drawing breath, I'm going to continue to do this kind of thing. I'm going to write books and I'm going to do talks uh, and I'm going to speak to anybody and everybody about consciousness, about truth, about principle, because I feel like that is my purpose. And I feel that when I do that, that gives my life meaning that in a way is beyond words. and. When I do that, I feel like I'm giving back to the creative force, even though, I, you know, it sounds like I'm saying it's separate. I'm not. I'm giving back to my higher self that that's what spirit wants for us to do. Spirit spent a lot of time and a lot of effort. <laughs> all you got to look at is, is all you got to look at the history of the universe and what you see 
and I can't, you know, I can't explain it to you right now, but I'm sure some of you are familiar with this idea that what's been going on from the very beginning, from the Big Bang forward, is a process of the increase of awareness, the increase of consciousness. We are more conscious than animals. Animals are more conscious than plants. Plants are more conscious than, um, you know, materiality. It's all been about the development of consciousness. So when we participate, when we think through the steps of translation, truth is that which is so. That which is not truth is not so, meaning it never existed, never can exist. It's impossible. There is only truth. And that's why we say truth is all there is. It is all. So anything that is so, anything that we're aware of, somehow, some way fits within to the wholeness of truth. And when you do that work, you are giving a gift to yourself because it'll bring a sense of awe into your life, but you're also doing something for the great creator spirit. So let's just take a minute to listen to a piece of music that you may not be familiar with, or maybe you are. It's a little different than what we often use, but I think it's really wonderful. Imagine a month of Sundays, each one a cloudy day. Imagine the moment the sun came shining through. Imagine that ray of sunshine as you. Remember your darkest hours. With dawn still far away Remember the way that you longed for morning's light and Think of yourself as a candle in the night Make believe this is the first day Everything all brand new Make believe that the sun is your own lucky star And then understand the kind of gift you are The gift you are Like the very first breath of spring The gift you are All the joy that love You are the only one 
if your dream will come true Carry the dream in a sparkling crystal jar and Then you will know the kind of gift you are The gift you are Like the very first breath of Okay, translators, take out your translation pad and give that gift to the universe. Give that gift to yourself. Give that gift to spirit. And that's my talk for today. Thank you very much, Richard.